What's up, y'all? This is John and Sean back for another episode of the Nothing Finer podcast. And this is Monday after an absolutely wild week seven in college football. We had Tennessee breaking a 15-year losing streak to Alabama. USC lost in the last 48 seconds to a two-loss Utah team. Arkansas blowing out a favored BYU team in Provo. Oh, and then the dogs uh, managed to blank Vandy in another 55-point victory. Last year they scored a little bit more, but we'll give them some leeway. Um, so what we're going to do this week is we're going to go over this past week's games, and then later during the bye week we're going to talk recruiting, um, some rest of season stuff, and then if anyone stays listening past that point, I'll bore most of y'all with my Formula One talk because I am super excited about the race this weekend. Um, most of our social media content, because I will be at Circuit of the Americas all weekend, will be Formula One related. So not a lot of football going on this weekend. For me, at least, I'll record the games, but not really be able to watch them in person. Um. We are changing one thing up tonight. Neither of us are drinking tonight. Um, mine is because we got talked into going out downtown Savannah on Friday, and then I went to a music festival on Saturday. Um, and I'm about to spend five days in Austin. So I'm trying to uh, trying to give my liver a bye week for the next few days. <laughs> and I'm just a bum with no excuse other than the fact I've been working since 4 a.m. Well, that that is a perfect excuse. If I had two sips of alcohol right now, you'll probably hear me snoring on the pod today. <laughs> um, so let's go ahead and get right into it. Um, Auburn at Ole Miss, the noon kick in Oxford, and man, the score di- didn't really tell the story of this game because it looked like Auburn was close to coming back and doing something a few times, but. Never really in question for Ole Miss. Robbie Ashford continued his um, – uh, let's try and find the right word for this. He continued his trend, let's put it nicely, of uh, under 50% passing. But he did manage to get 140 yards on under 50% passing. Um, he had two picks as well. But the running game got going in a big way against that much-improved Ole Miss defense. Tank Bigsby had the most rushing yards of his entire season. That's beating his total against Mercer in week one. It's beating San Jose State. That was beating literally every other team they've played this year. He got 170 rushing yards, averaged nine yards per carry. For those of you that may not know, that's almost one first down for every time he was handed the ball. That's, that's, that is what we call good. Um, hopefully, hopefully the people listening to this pod will, will know what it takes for a first down. I don't know. We, uh, we have one person that wears orange that sometimes doesn't understand numbers and stats. <laughs> um, Leaving that one we, alone. We are not a moral victory podcast, but if you're going to give one out, Auburn got a damn moral victory this weekend. They probably only have one win left on their entire schedule. 
But the fact that they scored the most points they have all season, they got Tank going on the ground, they shut down Ole Miss's passing game for all intents and purposes. This is the best they've looked, even though they still lost. They looked worse in their wins than they did in this loss, which is mind-blowing. That may be the most Auburn thing anybody's ever said. Yeah. And if you've watched or paid attention, the sad thing is it's true. Like, it's not me just talking shit about Auburn. Like, it's, it is sadly a fact. But yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I mean, I, th- I think we're to the point now where we can just face it. You know, Ashford, you know, talented young man, good, but he's just not a great passer. Um, you know, may- maybe, maybe a great overall athlete. But just not 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 a good passer. It makes me kind of wonder, you know, what's going on with Harson in in Auburn. If that's the best option you got, um, you know, because he's just not getting it done. But man, Tank Bigsby, you know, just talk about being a grown man. I mean, that dude is a stud. Um, over over 175 yards on the ground, and that 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 stat doesn't just doesn't say it. 175 yards on the ground with an O line that struggles to give him holes to run through. This isn't 175 yards on the ground with Alabama's offensive line from five years ago. This isn't 175 yards on the ground with Georgia's offensive line this season, last season, whatever. I mean, the dude works for every inch, and, uh, you know, just kudos to him. You know, but but what really impressed me the most was how about Ole Miss, you know, showing, you know, they can do what it takes to win. They're not just a pass all every day, every down, all the time. They need to pass. They can they need to run the ball. They can with three rushers over a hundred yards on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been, insane. I've been, wa- yeah, I've been watching college football my whole life, and I'm not sure I can think of another team that had three 100-yard rushers in one game in an SEC competition. Um, you know, that was just that, that blew my mind. But you know, Ole Miss has shown the the ability to be. Um, somewhat balanced, you know, again, using whatever they need, whatever the defense has given them. And I'm really interested to see, not jumping ahead, but I'm really interested to see what that, you know, Ole Miss matchup looks like against, against you know, an Alabama defense that, you know, let's face it, it's been kind of underwhelm, underwhelming this year. So, you know, that battle in the SEC West, you know, still kind of wide open. Yeah, no, 100%. And the one of the wildest stats about this game to me is that, Jackson Dart played the entire game. We never saw Luke Altmaier. Jackson Dart had a worse passing day than Robbie Ashford. And they still managed to win this game comfortably. And he rushed for over 100 yards in the quarterback position. In Lane Kiffin's offense. I just... I would not be surprised if we see Luke Altmaier down the stretch if Jackson Dart continues to play this way because it's not – his passing numbers just have not been what they were expected to be. But if Ole Miss is going to keep playing like this on defense, giving up that many rushing yards, it's going to be a day in Death Valley against LSU this week. No doubt. Now for, uh, I would say, my second – most disappointing game of the weekend. Um, Oklahoma State losing to TCU. And this game was everything we thought it would be. 83 points, two overtimes. The defenses didn't even get out of bed on this one. It was uh, 
it was an awesome game. I've got it recorded. I'm going to watch it back at some point this week. I will say I am very sad that the Cowboys managed to lose this one. Um, this is probably their kiss of death for any hope with playoffs this year. They always seem to have one of those. And for the Big 12 to have any shot at the playoff, TCU's got to win out. And the rest of their season is probably one of the toughest in the country just based on offenses, right? So they've got Kansas State this week, West Virginia, who put up 43 points on Baylor last week, Texas Tech, Texas, Baylor, and then Iowa State, who's got a top five defense in the country. Nope, top 12 after this last game. 12th ranked total defense in the country in the Big 12. Iowa State, who would have thought? This was supposed to be a down year after losing Brees Hall and Brock Purdy, and and somehow they lost some games, but their defense is damn good. Yeah, I kind of feel sorry for uh, uh, for TCU. I'm fairly certain they almost played pretty much the entire state of Texas other than Texas A&M. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, uh, yeah, if if you're looking at the stat lines from this game, yeah, I kind of figured that this would have been more the the, the Bama-Tennessee numbers would have looked more like this, um, you know, not what we saw. I mean, Sanders was under 50% completion for only 244 uh, in, in the game. And and somehow TCU outgained um, Oklahoma State by over 100 yards and still couldn't put them away in regulation. Turnovers. Yeah, you know, and that just didn't make a whole lot of whole lot of sense to me. And and you know, you put on 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 here to t- talk about with me. You know, can TCU go undefeated? I just don't see it, man. Um, I think they lose to either Kansas State or Texas Tech, um, and I and, and some some tough games. I just don't don't know they've got what it takes to emotionally get up every week. Um, but hey, I think it's important to remember, you know, for TCU, you know, again, no moral victory, but. They're already hit their season win total for this year, which was, you know, over-under was set at six. So, I mean, again, you know, not not saying they're going to throw in the towel and kind of give up, but definitely, definitely improvement based on where they were, you know, projected to start the season. Yeah, for sure. And I think if TCU manages to win against Kansas State this weekend, which we'll talk about that in the later week episode, because that's one of the games we're going to break down. Um I think they probably lose to Iowa State. Mm. Iowa State's got the number 18 pass defense in the country right now. And they've played those big-time passing offenses in the Big 12. That's a fair point. Next, we're going to go into the USC at Utah game. And this is an awesome game to finish the night off with. We got back from that music festival just in time to watch the entire fourth quarter, which um, if you didn't watch, and I said it earlier, Utah had the choice to tie or go for two with 48 seconds. They went for two to win the game, and Cam Rising ran in for that touchdown, and then he went over the top for the two-point conversion. He looks like the quarterback that we all thought he would be going into this season. And I don't think it's a hot take to say that if Florida played Utah, even at home, I don't know, after week three, they lose that game pretty handedly. Um, 
He went 30 or 44 for 415 passing yards, two touchdowns, 11 carries for 60 yards, three touchdowns on the ground, and a two-point conversion to win the game. That man was responsible for five touchdowns. But on USC side of the ball, Caleb Williams is also responsible for five touchdowns. Six, actually, it's six. 25 of 42, 381 yards, five passing, and then another touchdown on the ground. Pac-12 don't play defense, but uh, at least they played offense because that was fun. Um, It was a heck of a game to watch, but, I mean, I I think a lot of people – I, talking about Lincoln Riley for a second, you know, he, he's a great offensive mind and he's always had defensive struggles. And why do we still want to, you know, why, why are we questioning that? I mean, if you think about it, Oklahoma, multiple Heisman candidate quarterbacks over his tenure there and a lackluster defense. I'm not, not sure why. Playoff we, win with three Heisman winners. <laughs> yeah, 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 good stat, good stat. Lost the, uh, you know, great game against Georgia there too, but, you know, um, I just don't know why we were expecting that in the Pac-12 in his first year. Um, it was just really, again, just a really lackluster show. And I'm not sure a lot of defenses got off the bus this week in general. Um, they definitely didn't show up in this game. Like you said, I mean, Utah had 424 passing yards and rising. You know, he looked like the quarterback I expected in what was it, week one against Florida. You know, if, if he had played three quarters of this well against Florida, I don't think, you know, that would have been a, a close of a game. Um, but yeah, just if he would have just played this well on that last drive, they win the game. Yeah, hundred percent. But offensive stats all over the place. Like it's, it'd be hard for me to pick the best offensive player on, on you know, win or lose, losing side on this because they were everywhere. And one thing that I thought was hilarious, and I actually laughed out loud about this during the broadcast when it was both teams had forty points, forty plus points. The announcer said, this isn't the same defense that Lincoln Riley had at Oklahoma. I'm sorry, what? He's right. It might might be worse. Yeah. Yeah. Oklahoma beat two lost teams in the Big 12 when Lincoln Riley was there. And then after this game, the Pac-12's only hope, the whole – Oh, man, I lost the quote. I was going to do the Star Wars Leia quote. Help us, Obi-Wan. You're our only hope. For the Pac-12 getting to the playoff, unbeaten UCLA, who goes to Eugene for the college game day game to play an Oregon team that has only lost one game, and it was to the current number one team, and their average margin of victory over every single other team is 25 points. A lot of uh, – I know it's getting time for the playoff poll, but there's a lot of implications going around these next couple of weeks, and it's uh, – this is the time of the year where everything just gets a little bit more interesting. Yeah, this is this is the time where everybody starts playing those doomsday, you know, matchup scenarios of if this guy wins this team by three points and kicks a field goal with his left foot, can my team make it in out of left field kind of stuff? Oh, I've already seen it. Yeah. Yeah. I got a text about, or no, I saw it in the SDS group. There's apparently in Philadelphia, of all places, they're talking about 
there's a potential for Georgia or for the SEC to get four teams in the playoff this year. Yeah, if everybody else just craps the bed for the rest of the year. Yeah. Like, oh, what? <laughs> like the Big Ten's just not playing football anymore, guys. Well, it's already a shithole. They just got to play football like it. <laughs> so, I I think I think it's time we got to get to this uh, Alabama at Tennessee game, and I'm starting this off with some questions. Did either defense leave the hotel on Saturday? And my second question is: Has Will Reichard already been forced out of Tuscaloosa? I don't think he was allowed to come back. They pulled a Lane Kiffin and left him at the tarmac? Yeah, he's, he's still in Knoxville right now. They told him when he gets the goalpost out of the river, he can come back home. But, you know, don't, don't, for, don't, don't forget Saban's quote. His kicker is an assassin. He's assassinated his own team two weeks in a row. <laughs> Saban never said he was a good assassin. <laughs> right. Oh. So, both of this team, both of these teams, put over 560 yards of offense in the stat book. Bama had 569 to Tennessee's 567. Hendon Hooker, phenomenal day. At this point, I think it's tough to say that he's not leading the Heisman conversation. I hate to say it, but it's true. He had 385 passing yards on what was suspected to be a good Alabama pass defense, right? That was 70 yards less passing than Bryce Young had. 70. That is insane. Tennessee had nine quarterback hurries, only one sack. They lost the time of possession battle, 37 minutes to 22. Their top four tacklers were defensive backs, meaning their defensive front didn't do much of anything all day. They had two turnovers. They gave the ball up twice. Gave up 103 rushing yards to Jameer Gibbs. Gave up 90 receiving yards to Cameron Latu, the tight end. And somehow won this game with the ugliest field goal I have ever seen actually make it through the uprights. I, I'll be honest, my wife and I were sitting watching the game, and uh, when he kicked that field goal, I looked down at my phone to do something else because I was like, oh, when it came off his foot, I was like, he missed that. And, yeah. then he, and then he made it. I was like, no way. No no way. Funny story about the ending of this game. So we were between performers at this music festival, and there was a court manufacturer, shout out Caesar Stone, out in Richmond Hill. They had a booth set up right next to where the music, right next to like the big field where all the music was. And they had a 55 inch TV playing the game. So they had like 50, 75 people crowded around their tent. And, you know, they did their whole sales thing. Like they come up and hand you a koozie and start talking to you. And nobody was paying attention. <laughs> Not, props to them. They got their name out there. I'd never heard of them before Saturday, but if I ever redo my countertops, I'm calling them just for putting this game on. You give me a koozie? Oh, they had their kids out there, and we got like four or five Caesar Stone koozies. Nice. Because 
like they they had like two or three little girls out there, probably like three or four years old, just walking around with baskets, and they would just do the same circle and hand koozies to like the same ten people. <laughs> but on the Alabama side of this game, they had program high seventeen penalties for one hundred and thirty yards. They had a turnover on special teams, and. You know, like like I said, I I saw that, but the audio wasn't really on at the um, where I was watching. So I don't know what was that guy thinking. Did they talk about it on the broadcast? Like what he just half ass dove on. He pulled a Cam Newton trying to dive on that ball, and then Tennessee got it. Please, I would love an explanation on what happened there. Yeah, I wish I had one for you. Um, I'm I'm not not really confident on that one myself. So did it come off of the other guy's foot, or did it just get close? Or I believe it came off of his foot slightly, uh, but I'm not uh, confident on that. Uh, but still, it was it was lackluster effort. Yeah, no. I every time I see somebody half-ass go for a ball on the ground, it just makes me think of Cam Newton in the Super Bowl where. He saw Von Miller and was like, you know what? I I'm good. I'll lose this one. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, th- th- this game, you know, you you went over the stats, so I'll keep my part really short. But you know what? The most impressive stat for me for Tennessee on this game is Hendon Hooker averaged 12.8, just say 13 yards per completion against an SEC defense. And that we I think was good. You, that we thought was, you know, one of the best in the country. I mean, I think you hit the, the nail on the head with some of that as far as, you know, pressure and different things like that. But 13 yards per completion is ridiculous. And, of course, there's some bombs in there that average it out. There's some short passes that average it out as well. But when you're averaging 13 yards per completion and almost 200 yards on the ground, Tennessee looked good. And I hate to admit it, but I'm right there with you. I think Hendon maybe. If he's not the front runner for Heisman right now, he's definitely top three. Um, but you know, all in all, big congratulations to Tennessee. You know, the 15-year streak is over. As a Georgia fan, I know what it's like to finally end a drought. I can appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I can respect that. Um, you know, I, I didn't expect this kind of offense no. against, against Bama, but you know, why not? You know, they did it against LSU. They've been doing it all year. Um, and I just wanted to take a couple seconds, you know, as soon as the game was over, you know, obviously I got on Facebook because, you know, I just like to bother people. But <laughs> the first thing that comes up is, oh, well, Bama would have won that game if it wasn't for penalties or if it wasn't for this, you know, and I'm not trying to trigger Chris Marler if he's happening to listen or any other Bama fans out there. But how about you not play sloppy and then you don't have anybody to blame? I just yeah, feel like Alabama's come up. Yeah, Alabama's come a long way from no excuses to where we are now. Oh, yeah. And not only that, but when's the last time they played well on the road? Yeah, that's fair. Every – I don't want to say every road game because they did do well against Arkansas. But, I mean, they even against Arkansas, they had, what, almost two quarters where Arkansas caught up to them? Yeah. And injured – Broken Arkansas team managed to catch up to them because they played on the road. I mean, even going back to they when they played at Ole Miss, 
um, what was it, 2020? That down-to-the-wire game. They just haven't played well on the road in what seems like a long time. And this is a conversation that was happening around that Caesar Stone tent right after the game. How much longer does Nick Saban put up with this? The world's caught up to him and the recruiting, and now that it's legal to pay players, everybody's doing it and being wild about it. And not only that, but it seems like he's not getting the quality of character in players that he used to. Yeah, 100%. I think I said this on the pod last week, but, you know, what made Saban so good, in my opinion, and I think he's, he's a very, very good coach, but he was a great recruiter of not only talent, but also staff. And I think what ultimately take this for what you will will be his downfall. And that's an extreme term, not downfall. I mean, he's one of the greatest ever coach, but is he taught other people how to do that just as good. So Mm -hmm. now, you know, back when his prime, he never lost a recruit to Tennessee or Georgia or Texas A&M. They could bring that second string in and it's like, oh my God, you know, two is better than this guy or, or whatever the case may be. And you didn't have a drop-off. Sometimes you even got motivation and it increased. I don't know how much longer he can do this because, honestly, you know, Alabama is starting to look like a top team, but just any other top team. Right. No, I agree 100%. And I think – and this is just coming off of context clues and conversations that I've had that know people that are somewhat close to Nick Saban – from what I gather is that he was really thinking that he was going to come back in this year and win one and sail off into the sunset. And I think that's one of the reasons they kept Bill O'Brien around is just kind of to shift him back into the head coach spot because he really, I mean, he's a, he's a good coach, but I'm, I'm starting to think even if Bama doesn't win one this year, he's, he's definitely getting towards the end of, he just looks tired. He, I think it's safe to say he's he's just in a different position than he was even two, three years ago. I mean, if you look at how he treats a lot of his, his players, he's almost, I use this term loosely, he's almost nice. Mm-hmm. Where if you look at him, you know, three, four, five years ago, he looked a lot like Kirby on the sideline where, you know, you, you, you break a run for 70 yards, Kirby's chewing you out because you should have missed the tackle. Or, you know, you have, I don't know if complacent's not the right word because I don't want to belittle anything about Saban, but may, maybe he's just 90% in instead of the 100 like he used to be. I mean, let's face it, the dude's in, in his 70s. Like, it takes a lot to run an NCAA program, especially one the 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 tier of Alabama. So, you know, you may be onto something. I don't know. And I think I think a part of his coaching style change, and before anyone says anything, I know I'm sounding like an old person right now, but I am only 26. The generation that's coming up and playing college football right now is not the same. They don't have the same mental makeup as they did five, six years ago. When I was in college five, six years ago, and uh, and this is going to sound terrible. Safe spaces weren't a thing. You said what you thought and you were intellectually honest. And now people are just – the generation coming up, and I've got a lot of family in it, it seems like they're just a touch softer 
and I I know I'm sounding old. I know I'm sounding alt-right or whatever, but I mean, it's just in football, being too in touch with your emotion can sometimes be a detriment. Oh, look, and I'm going to say something trigger warning here. It might, might bother some people. I think that was the problem with Mark Richt. Mind you, I love Mark Richt. I think he was great yeah. for Georgia football, and he's a great person, and he's a fantastic you know, Christian and leader of men. 100%. But I don't think I don't think there was that grab you by the face mask and hey, what the hell are you doing? Fire in Mark Richt. And I honestly feel like he might have been a little ahead of his time there because that that seems to be the the trend now. Yeah. And it, I don't remember who said it, and it, it may have been Marler. I'll give him credit for this one. And about Mark Rick, and just like you said, I love Mark Rick. Truly, through and through, one of the best things that's ever happened to the University of Georgia. By far. DGD, for sure. But you want a coach that's up at 5 o'clock in the morning on Sunday going over t- game tape and not spending three hours at church. And I know it's terrible. I know it is. But winning takes 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Speaking of the team that Mark Rick coached for and is now headed up by Kirby motherfucking smart. Hey, can, can, I, can I say one more thing before we move there? What's up? Can we just give a shout out to uh, and just take a second to recognize Tennessee for playing Dixieland Delight at the end of the game? That may be the best troll job I have ever seen in college football. Yes. Right on with um, Florida State playing neck right after they blocked that LSU field goal week one. <laughs> That's fair. Also something that I completely forgot to put in to this Tennessee part, Jalen Hyatt had one of the most ridiculous stat lines you can possibly imagine on Saturday. Six catches, five touchdowns. I, I don't have it right in front of me, but like 207 yards. Everybody thinks that Randy Moss stat of like three catches, 100 and something yards, and two touchdowns is insane. Six catches, five touchdowns, 207 yards. Like that's. Yeah, average 35 yards a reception. That, that's longer than the kick that Will Record missed. <laughs> and look. And I stole this. It was either Andy Staples or it might have been Marler. I don't remember. But if Hyatt Hotels doesn't lock down a name image likeness deal with him, I don't believe in name image likeness anymore. Like, it's right there. Take it. Yeah, that is a phenomenal point. That – and then be like, oh, we got another touchdown at Hyatt. Right? Perfect. And I hate to hype it up because it's Tennessee. And I hate everything uh, orange. That's fair. So, getting into this Vanderbilt at Georgia game. And like we said earlier, second year in a row, Georgia shut out the Vanderbilt Commodores. This time, it was a 55 to nothing victory. Dogs had 579 yards of offense. 387 of those were passing yards with 100, 192 on the ground. Well, little, little fun fact here. Since Vanderbilt ghosted Georgia on senior day in 2020, Georgia has scored 117 consecutive points on Vanderbilt, allowing a zero. That's that's just a ridiculous stat. Moral of the story, don't be a dick. 
you don't want to get embarrassed and put further in your place than you needed to be. Don't decide, you know what? We know we're going to get beat. We don't want another loss on the record. Let's just not play this one. Again, 117 to zero. Something Mark Rick probably wouldn't have done. No, no. In the third quarter, if he would have seen a zero on the scoreboard, he'd have called a meeting with Clark Lee and been like, hey, he just want to like, we'll just kneel the rest of the game if you guys want to. But something that anybody that listens to the show knows, I have been screaming at the top of my lungs for Darnell Washington to get involved. And I don't know, maybe it finally got – maybe – Enough people were screaming loud enough that Todd Munkin finally heard. But um, Darnell Washington put the entire country on notice of what happens when you have a guy that's similar in size to Shaq that runs a 4-7 going out to catch passes. And I I got a text on Saturday, um, somebody that – is an SEC fan but doesn't watch a lot of Georgia. They said, who the hell is number zero on offense? Yep. Stand by, you'll find out. Right. He is six foot seven, 270 pounds, runs a four seven. Oh, and now put into his resume, he can just palm a football midair without even seeing where the pass is coming from. Dude, is it, and not watching even him play, watching him play is is like it's like me playing football, tackle football against my 12-year-old. Yeah. Like, he's yeah. so much bigger than everybody. And the fact that when he caught that, he just caught it and ran with it. Like, he didn't use his other hand at all. There was no, like, oh, let me reposition it. Like, no, he just – he probably grabbed it like normal people do a bottle of Coke. Like, your hand's almost all the way around it. And you don't have to grip very hard, and it's not coming out of your hand. I don't. I don't really have too many takeaways on this one, um, but get right game came at the perfect time. Thanks to the SEC for the for scheduling Vanderbilt right before the bye week. Got to pull the starters early. I've heard that once again, Ad Mitchell could have played, but was held out because he wasn't needed. I've heard that Jalen Carter, if he was needed, could have gone in, but he wasn't. Um, I think Kirby Smart's post-game quote was something along the lines of, it's funny how everyone magically gets healthy on the bye week. But, um, Sean, if you can go ahead and get into your thoughts, we'll do offensive and defensive MVPs right after that. Yeah, for sure. So, um, UGA started strong. Uh, for the first time in a few weeks, uh, 14 points in each of the first uh, first two quarters, and we really got to see some playmakers in this game, um, which which I was I was really happy about. And yeah, you said it. You went over it. Darnell's a stud, grown man. Um, he was our leading receiver this game as well, which I think we talked about on the pod last week. I think that's a big key for Georgia's offense is get him the ball more. Um, you know, Arik Gilbert got his first touchdown of the season. Um, and just a big shout-out to him. And, and can you imagine how good our offense can look when we get A.D. ready to start back? You know, health-wise, he might be there. But get him back, get the Arik situation figured out, um, and just get where we need to be there. But, you know, 
what would you say is one stat that is more impressive than say having a receiver with 200 yards like like Hyatt did? I'm putting him on the spot here. By the way, I, I didn't preface this with him. Give me give me a qualifier: offensive or defensive? Offensive. Oh. Offensive by our quarterback room. Um. I'm I'm gonna guess it has something to do with completion percentage. Actually, no. So th- th- this stat, I mean, and this was bigger to me that this might be my favorite stat all year. But eleven different players caught passes on Saturday for Georgia. Eleven different. Hold on now, it gets better. Eleven different players caught multiple passes for Georgia on Saturday. Having one stud wide receiver or two stud wide receivers is great. But if something happens to one of them, do you have the ability to spread the ball out? Do you have the ability to, you know, get completions to different people? And that was a combination of Carson Beck and Stetson. Um, you know, so just I was I was really impressed with that. You know, solid performance going into the bye week. You know, our defense, and I missed this if you said it, but our defense gave up 150 total yards on Saturday. And I know I know Vanderbilt's not a, a world beater, but we also weren't going good against good all day long. We did all have our second and third string in there. 105 yards on the air and only 45 yards on the ground. I mean, just a, an all-around good showing for Georgia. Um, I'm really pleased by what I saw with Gilbert, and, and I'm, I'm glad we finally started feeding Darnell the rock more. And our over-under hit of um, eight passes attempted by backup quarterbacks. Nice. So, um, you know what? I'll go ahead and let you get into offensive MVP here. You know, when, when, when you put up a 55-point show uh, uh, shutout with 11 different players receiving uh, the ball multiple times and the running running game on point, you know, I'll be honest, it's really, really hard for me. It came down to the, the, the quarterback room, Beck and Stetson, the running backs, or just Darnell, you know, having the, the, the game he did. And it's really, I'll be honest, it's really hard for me to pick one. Um, looking at the stats from the game with our running backs, you know, it's kind of as nice as the, you know, receivers. We had one, two, three, four, five backs get touches, not including Beck and Bennett, um, you know, for just that 200 yards. So Dejon Edwards had a good day. McIntosh was back. You know, I think for me, if I have to pick the one, it, it, you know, everybody knows what our passing game can do, you know, on or off. We've had, you know, it's RBU, so we've got the running back talent. I've just got to give it to Big O. I got to give it to Darnell. He's been such a support role all season, you know, blocking for the rock in the running back's hand, blocking for Brock Bowers, blocking, blocking, and he gets a couple shots, but he finally got to shine. And, uh, you know, to me, it's just got to go to him. Great team effort, and there's a lot of people out that could have got it this week, but I got to give it to Darnell. Yeah, no, I, I, there's no argument for anything you said. And going back to that Missouri game at halftime when Jorno hasn't gotten the amount of touches that he would in literally every other offense in this country, stepped up, told Kirby Smart, run behind me. He said, you want me to move people? I'll move people. You want me to catch passes? I'll catch passes. 
and he's finally gotten rewarded. Yeah. And that just gives me a little warm and fuzzy in my heart just because he is the player that we think he can be, and he finally got rewarded for it. For sure. Now for defensive, I've already – this guy's already gotten one of my defensive MVP awards. It's my guy. Nicknamed him myself. No one else calls him this. But Christopher Nightmare Smith, one of the best. Okay, I'm going to stop you right there. If we're going to make this a thing, we got to have shirts. Oh, did you not see the graphic? Oh, you don't really use Instagram. I, I added it back last week, so I'm getting better. So, no, I made a I made a jersey edit of him to where on the back it just says Nightmare. But it's got to be like in spooky Halloween letters and numbers, though. Oh, I didn't do that. I'll work on I'm it. Just, I'm just I'll saying, we should, we should get us some, some shirts. I'd rock a Nightmare shirt. I'll, I'll work on it. I got you. Oh, I got you. Um, one of the best safeties in the SEC. Hey, a big play, he's not missing. Hey, he may not be the fastest. He may not be the strongest. He may not be the tallest. He's one of the best safe coverage safeties in the league. You need a turnover. He's got you on a turnover. Led the team in tackles with five solo, one tackle for loss. Recovered a fumble. I. If this guy isn't drafted by halfway through the second round, a lot of NFL teams are going to be upset they passed on him. I think, it, you know, kind of what you said about Darnell, about leading the offense and, and leading the charge, I think that's, to me, when it comes to Chris Smith, I think that's one of the biggest things for him is he's kind of taking that leadership position on the defense. I mean, his playing ability and, and all that goes without saying, but his ability to make sure guys are in the right spot, make sure coverage, you know, is, is picked, I think that goes – you know, not it's not talked about nearly enough. You know, him him being one of the big leaders uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, no, I. If there's one thing that I would like to do by the end of the season, it's um, I would love to be able to just even get a response from this guy tagging him in this stuff because he is a big defensive line guy, but Christopher Smith is my favorite player on this defense. I, and far and away for me, just ever since he had to come in for an injured Richard LeCount a couple years ago, he hasn't missed. Like, there's never been a time where you're like, oh, Christopher Smith blew this play. Like, he doesn't take a playoff ever, period. Yeah. If he's on the field, 110%. And if he gets close, he's he is going to hit you with everything he's got every time. So this is completely off subject, but favorite player on the defense? Yeah. Oh, I uh, I, I might have to uh, I might have to swap up Smiths on you there and go for Nolan. I can do that. I also like Keeley a lot, especially after that play last year in the national championship. But uh, no doubt, no doubt. But I just there's a there's a big there's a big chunk of my Georgia loving heart. That goes out to Christopher Smith just based on, like I said, hard worker. Like, it's not like he was one of the highest recruited guys. Like I said, he's not the biggest. He's not the strongest. He's not the fastest. And I've said it before on this show, he is a human eraser. If you get in the open field, he is going at 110% to take you out without targeting. He may have gotten taken out of one game for targeting, 
and it was a bang bang play. Like he's not a dirty player, but um, I he he'll well, hurt you. We could do a whole pod on targeting and what that looks like, this, that, and the other. But when you got a you know a defensive back running all out, you know to be able to just mid tackle, you know sometimes it happens. I don't believe yeah. it's ever intentional for a lot of the time, but you know sometimes it happens. Yeah, and then still on Christopher Smith, last year he was injured for a few games, even for senior day last year, right? He was injured, came out, his whole leg was in a brace. Two weeks later, two weeks later, he's playing at the SEC championship game. I just, this is the kind of character of a player that some other top teams are missing. And that's kind of that's that's where I'm gonna stop on that one. <laughs> but we do we do have a special award to give out this week. Um, not done it before, but it's one of those things we kind of been waiting on. It's the <laughs> award. Like I said, we've been we've been waiting on a special special occasion for this, um, and we've got we've got two to give away this week. First is going to Dominic Blaylock. I I know every Georgia fan that's been around since every Georgia fan that's not a bandwagon fan has known about Dominic Blaylock. Without Dominic Blaylock, the 2019 season would have had at least in one more, if not two more, losses. He was 90% of the offense that season when everything else was going wrong. He was that guy. And he got his first touchdown since 2019 on Saturday, had an average of 17 and a half yards per reception this week. It is so nice to see him finally healthy, and not only healthy, but he's having a big impact on the offense while some other guys are hurt. Well, and, and again, a big shout out to, to Dom for what you don't see. Even when injured, even when, you know, not, not able to play, if you listen to some player interviews or get a chance to watch the sideline, He's up and down the field cheering on his guys, hollering and hooting just like a regular fan on the sideline, pumping the offense up and pumping the team up. So, you know, he, he's he's a DGD for sure. Uh, he'll always be a damn good dog. And I am yeah, – I'm with you. I've been there for years. I've been waiting on Dom to, to be able to live up to his full potential. Um, and I feel like he, we're, we're starting to see some of that now. You know, I'm glad he was able to, to get his first touchdown. I didn't realize it hadn't been since 2019, though. That's That's a big deal. Yeah, I think um, if I'm remembering correctly, it was his first touchdown since Georgia Tech 2019. Wow. Yeah, it was. And just the way that the team, like as soon as that play was over, every single person on the team was giving him love because he has been. He's been in the locker room since before some of the guys that, have made impacts. Like, he's been a player coach because he knows what he's doing out there. And it's, once again, big character. Big character. And for the second award of the week, and i be honest, I'm probably going to get a little bit emotional talking about this. Hold on, the second award for what? The second award this week is, um, is Eric Gilbert. I, as someone who also struggles with mental health at times, awesome to see him 
get back involved with the offense, be with the team, get his first touchdown wearing red and black. And to me, even better than the touchdown was the team's reaction to it. This isn't, you know, I got to take a shot at Florida here. Like you got Florida players talking about wanting to transfer on Instagram in the locker room after the game. But everybody on this team cares about each other. They care about the team and each other as individuals more than themselves at times. And everybody on the team ran over and was hyping him up as soon as that happened. You see all these programs with the beef and having problems with each other and yelling at each other on sideline. But Eric Gilbert, he's gotten himself together enough. He's gotten the help to come back to this program that has stood by him and waited on him and done everything they could to help. And he's finally able to give it back. And if if we can get him healthy and in the right spot for the rest of the season, there's going to be a lot of people upset at what this offense can be. Yeah, for sure. And if, if, if you haven't seen the picture of Bennett um, after the touchdown, um, go back and just, just Google it. Just the Bennett's got his hand out to to, to give Eric or is it Eric or Eric? So I've heard Kirby pronounce it both ways. So I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. Anyway, so Bennett's got his hand out to give Gilbert um, a, a high five and just the smile on Bennett's face and just the pure joy that that's that's sent his way. You know something. You know I, sometimes I forget. You know, I'm not a big pro football fan. Uh, I love college. I love it. It's my release from everything. It's my my weekend thing. It's what I can put on TV and not have to worry about work or, or whatnot. And sometimes we forget that these are kids. Yeah. I have my oldest is only a couple years difference than some of these kids out there on the field. And they're more than college athletes. You know, they're somebody's brother, son. A possible father and and you know his story here just rings true to me because there's more there's more to it than just football and uh i'm really proud of how how uga stood behind him the whole process and obviously i hope you know he's your know, first round draft pick and he lights the world on fire but if he doesn't do anything else in a georgia uniform stat wise i think it's safe to say he's made a big impact on the fans and, and the players alike no, I, I agree. And then I was just before we came on here tonight, I was actually watching Stetson's post game interview. And, you know, they asked him a question about the rest of the season. And the next question was something about Eric Gilbert. And his face just lit up. And you can tell just not the impact that he's having on the field and his physical ability, but what he and the team are able to do for each other. And that's one of the things that you love to see, not just as far as Georgia goes, but I mean, even I hope this is something that a story will come out and we can actually like other teams and other players are able to use this and Eric Gilbert's story to help other people. Yeah, for sure. But I think that's going to do it for us on this week seven recap. Well, I'm going to throw an audible in here, and you can edit okay. this out if you want to. Uh, but I wanted to talk about one other game, and I purposely didn't tell you about it because uh, oh. I want some I want some off the cuff remarks here. But you know, okay. Kentucky took on Mississippi State this weekend, and uh, I'll be honest, Mississippi State was one of those offenses that I was a little worried about. 
Um, you know, how, how Georgia's going to match up to them. I had them, you know, in a similar category to Tennessee. I don't think they were nearly uh, nearly as good as Tennessee, but a big return by Will Levis, but more importantly, the defense of Kentucky just shut down Mississippi State's offense. Uh, Will Rogers had 200 yards passing on 37 attempts, five and a half yards per completion. The entire Mississippi State offense had 22 yards rushing, for a total of 225 yards. Oh, yeah, and I had to like double and triple t- check this stat just to make sure. But Mississippi State's, um, you can't see me, but I'm putting up my air quotes for those just listening on the pod. Newfound defense gave up 239 yards in the air and 239 yards on the ground. With Kentucky's running back, uh, Rodriguez, four yards short of 200 yards. Uh, on the ground. So my question and what I want to want to ask you is, does Will Levis and Kentucky's performance against Mississippi State make you feel more comfortable against UGA's upcoming matchup, or is this what you saw the whole time? So I don't I don't remember if we talked about it last week. I personally was thinking Mississippi State was going to win this game, and I honestly did not think it would be that close, if I'm being 100% honest. I think To me, the biggest thing that this game showed me is that if you are able to get in Will Rogers' face and then you have the ability and you've got the physicality on the outside to jam those Mississippi State wide receivers, because the air raid's all about timing, right? So if they can jam those receivers off the line, get that timing off, it – it looks significantly easier to beat Mississippi State than I thought it would be. If you jam the receivers, but not only that, you know, even, you know, Mike Leach has done a really good job of running the ball this season too. And if you shut down the running game completely and make them one-dimensional, I just think they, they look extremely more beatable now than they did two weeks ago. Yes, I mean, if you go back and look at Mississippi State's schedule, I mean, I think you were you were I lost you for a second there, but you were going to look at some of the uh, the physical teams. You know, I think you know the most physical we'd have off the rip are LSU, who they lost to, lost to Texas A and M, who they they did a pretty good job against that, but and also Arkansas. Um, but let's let's have your thoughts on that. Yeah, um, the physical teams have just been able to manhandle Mississippi State, and I think a big part of it comes down to what what Connor O'Gara said on this podcast and he said on his own is that if you're – Mississippi State lost a lot on the offensive line as far as pass protection talent goes. And if you're able to not even necessarily sack Will Rogers but just get pressure on him – it, it seems like that, like I said, it seems like this team's just significantly easier to beat than we thought. And if there's anything Georgia does very well, it's out physical teams and lean on them until the other team just cracks and breaks. So, in the two games that Mississippi State has lost this year, they've had less than 100 yards rushing. Yeah. You know, so, I think, I think stopping the run game plays a, a big part in that, too. And that's, um, I mean, going back to your favorite George player, Nolan Smith doesn't have the sack numbers this year. But if there's something that man does 
better than almost any other outside linebacker in the country. It shut down the run game. He's all over the field. And then not only that, but you've got Nazir Stackhouse, who I don't even remember if Candler and I talked about him in our defensive preview um, coming into the season. But he is he has come the closest to being able to replace Jordan Davis of anybody on the defensive line. Tall task to replace Jordan Davis, but if somebody's come close, it would be Nazir Stackhouse. Do you think more than Jalen? I think so, just because Jalen Carter's been hurt so much this season. Yeah. I mean, he was hurt before the season, played most of Oregon, and then hasn't really played significant time since. I have a feeling we're going to see him in Jacksonville. Oh, yeah. And like I was saying a minute ago, it it seriously, from what everything I've heard is that Jalen Carter could have come in and played this week. But if you essentially have back-to-back bye weeks, why put stress? Oh, 100%. And I know these guys play to win the game, but they're also playing for their potential NFL future. And somebody like Jalen, there's enough film out there already. You know, there's no sense in risking an injury against, you know, Vanderbilt when you got you know, Florida, Tennessee, all that coming to town soon. So, yeah, 100%. You want to talk about somebody that can out-physical Mississippi State's offensive line, Jalen Carter, through and through. People forget Jalen Carter played running back in high school. (laughs) I don't think I'd want to hit him with my Jeep. No, there's no way. Last year he was was projected as a first-round pick if he would have come out last year. Right. I just can't wait to see what he's going to be able to do down the stretch. Agreed. If you don't have anything else for this one, I think we're going to go ahead and close it. No more curveballs from you today. (laughs) So, as we talk about every time we come on here, uh, follow our Instagram at nothing.finer.pod. Our Twitter at at finerpod. The Facebook group, just search Nothing Finer Podcast on Facebook. Rate and review the show if you want me, and send me a screenshot if you want me to send you a sticker. Um, And then if you want to take part in our ASW giveaway, uh, it's been up for two weeks. We're going to do the drawing on November 1st. It's on our Instagram. Given a a bottle of ASW Fiddler, a Fiddler t-shirt, and an ASW hat along with one of our stickers, one of our koozies, and a T-shirt. And we made another post about that the other day. Um, Yeah, but I just, as far as that giveaway goes, the more people that enter and the more people that follow both pages and the cooler stuff we're going to get, they're, they're working on something very, very, very cool for us. But we gotta, we've got to give them some return on what they're giving us. So we appreciate all the help we can get on that. But if you don't have anything else in this little conclusion here, we'll go ahead and close it. Let's close it. Always remember, guys, there is nothing finer in the land than a drunk, obnoxious Georgia fan. Go dogs! Go dogs! Biggest third down in Bryce Young's career. You need 10. Play clock at four. From the pocket. Launching downfield, underthrown and intercepted. Kaylee Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. All the way to the end zone. And Georgia is going to cut.